Welcome to the No Small Churches podcast. I'm your host, Ephraim Wilkoff. We exist to amplify preaching from faithful leaders serving the local church. At No Small Churches, we believe that when measured in kingdom value, there are no small churches. We're continuing our celebration of women evangelists throughout the Eastertide season, this week with a sermon from Reverend Kalia Rodriguez, a new friend that I've yet to meet in person, but I had the pleasure of reading a lament she wrote for a collaborative prayer event led by the Free Methodist Justice Network and the Free Methodist Liturgical Network. Both great groups that you should investigate on Facebook if you have the opportunity and you're still brave enough to be using Facebook. Kalia has recently been appointed to plant a Free Methodist Church in Dallas, Texas, but is currently preaching at First United Methodist Church in Bedford, Texas. Supporting local church pastors doesn't get any more small church focused than amplifying the preaching of a pastor whose church doesn't exist yet. So we are back on brand this week with Pastor Kalia. Kalia dreams that someday her church will plant and take root and have vibrant ministry in the community. Pastor Kalia says on hard days, the thing that keeps her going is when her kids make her laugh and her husband is, quote, usually helpful. I'm a little concerned about the word usually in this response, but it sounds like Kalia is generally a positive person and doesn't focus on the negatives, which is a great trait for a church planter. This week's message is entitled, A Reckless God, preached on Matthew 13, verses 1 through 8, and 18 through 23. Of course, the song that led into this message when it was originally preached was Reckless Love by Corey Asbury, and there's no way Kalia could have known this when she submitted the sermon, but I really don't like that song. Not because of the theology, but because it's boring. The guitar hook is just a descending scale. It's just... Anyways, you didn't click on this podcast to hear me be a grumpy worship leader. You heard it to hear great preaching. So let's move on as we prepare to hear from the Word of God and to hear from Pastor Kalia. Matthew 13, 1-8 through 8. That day, Jesus went out of the house and sat down beside the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he climbed into a boat and sat down. The whole crowd was standing on the shore. He said many things to them in parables. A farmer went out to scatter seed. As he was scattering seed, some fell on the path, and birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where the soil was shallow. They sprouted immediately because the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it scorched the plants, and they dried up because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorny plants. The thorny plants grew and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and bore fruit. In one case, a yield of 100 to 1. In another case, a yield of 60 to 1. And in another case, a yield of 30 to 1. Matthew 13, 18 through 23. Consider then the parable of the farmer. Whenever people hear the word about the kingdom and don't understand it, the evil one comes and carries off what was planted in their hearts. This is the seed that was sown on the path. 
As for the seed that was spread on rocky ground, this refers to people who hear the word and immediately receive it joyfully. But because they have no roots, they last for only a little while. When they experience distress or abuse because of the word, they immediately fall away. As for the seed that was spread among thorny plants, this refers to those who hear the word, but the worries of this life and the false appeal of wealth choke the word, and it bears no fruit. As for what was planted on good soil, this refers to those who hear and understand and bear fruit and produce, in one case a yield of 100 to 1, in another case a yield of 60 to 1, and in another case a yield of 30 to 1. The Word of the Lord. A very um, large thank you to our worship team this morning. If I'm not mistaken, this is the very first time I've even seen this combination of people up on stage together. Was today your first day of playing together as this group? You did an amazing and remarkable job. I uh, probably believe that I have some explaining to do about this sermon title, which is actually not correct. <laughs> That's the song title. Um, so if on your screen you see, um, if, and if you are at home and watching and you see Reckless Love as the sermon title, um, that is not what I titled my sermon. But however, that's probably one that doesn't ruffle nearly as many feathers. And maybe I was trying to ruffle some feathers. Um, sermon title is supposed to be A Reckless God. And when I texted that to my co-staff, I got a one-word response from Pastor Drew. He said, ouch. And I said, no, no, it's good, it's good. Um, but it, it does have a little bit of a backstory. It was a few years ago on a mission trip. I think it was the last time we went to Aldersgate that that song that we just sang, Reckless Love, was the theme song for mission trip. And I think the youth really liked that one. They belted it when we got to the chorus every time. They sang loud. However, at the same time, because it was a new song, it was getting other attention. And there was, um, in a free Methodist pastor's Facebook dialogue group that I was in, or am in, there was a lot of conversation about this song. And mostly about one particular word. You want to guess which one? Reckless. That one word brought out some opinions regarding its usage. And the debate was, is that even an appropriate or accurate word to describe God's love or really any attribute of God? God's grace, God's mercy, or God's self. Because when we look at what reckless actually means, it doesn't tend to mean very good things. Reckless is careless. Reckless is thoughtlessness. It's dangerous. A reckless person doesn't think or care for the consequences of an action. A reckless decision puts oneself or others at risk. 
That one Facebook debate held a great number of really strong feelings. And of course, as all Facebook debates go, nothing was solved. I do recall, I think there was a general consensus that those who really do not like to use that word could substitute the word relentless in and then be really happy and content about what they were singing in their praise to God. And that conversation, as, again, most Facebook debates go, it faded into the background, but then it surfaced again when I was looking through the lectionary, the assigned readings for this day, to figure out what, what is it I'm going to share on? What, what am I going to write a sermon on? What am I going to preach on? What scripture am I going to use? And I got to this parable in Matthew, and I was reminded of that minor debate over a major issue. Is God reckless? Let me explain how I came to that question and that connection. In this parable, we have Jesus talking about a farmer who is doing his work planting seeds. Uh, biggest and most obvious disclaimer right now, I am not a farmer. Uh, during, of course, this COVID crisis, my family started a little backyard garden. And we have seen some very mediocre success. I don't even know very many farmers. I do know some. The ones I know, it seems like they know a lot about farming. They know what they're doing. They know what works, and they know what doesn't work. They know what their farms need in order to flourish. They know how to take care of their animals and their crops. They know where to plant things. See where I might be going with this? They know these things because their success depends on it. They have to know how to farm if they want to be successful, if they want to be able to earn their living, if they want to have a flourishing farm that can provide for their families and have some left over to sell and some left over for next year's planting. I don't believe I know a farmer who would be intentionally wasteful of the seeds that they had available to plant because that doesn't make sense. And yet, here in Matthew, we get Jesus telling a story of a parable, a parable of a farmer who does just that. It starts to tickle me, and I start looking for, okay, why? What's the story here? So I even looked back to find out and make sure that this is really a parable about a farmer. So I looked in the Greek to make sure it wasn't supposed to be just a person, a man. Or wouldn't it be something crazy if it was somebody who tried a career change? Like, hey, a tax collector decided to try his hand at farming and went to plant a bunch of seeds and some accidentally got on the road. Or a Pharisee decided to grow a garden or become a farmer, but some of his seeds fell in the thorns and didn't do so well. It's not a parable about someone who didn't know what they were doing. In the Greek, it actually says it's a sower. 
similar to a farmer, somebody who makes his living planting and harvesting. So this is not an accidental success or failure. This is somebody who's supposed to know what they're doing. He's supposed to know these things. And in this parable, he is a bit careless or reckless or generous. He throws the seed, he scatters the seed, and it gets everywhere. And not just an accidental, oh, whoops, someone in the thorns, I'll be more careful now. No, it also lands on the path, it lands on the rocks. It lands, yes, in the good and prepared fields where it can grow to its full and fruitful potential. But it also lands in the thorns, among weeds, he throws it on the rocks, and he throws it on the road. Again, I am not a farmer. I do feel like I know enough to know that it's not so likely that a seed is going to do very well trying to grow out on the sidewalk or on airport freeway out there. It's almost like this farmer being reckless with his seeds. I, I had that picture of an Oprah meme where the hands are going out, where you get some seeds, and you get some seeds, and everybody gets some seeds. And the result is, in the parable, we, we hear that you know the seeds just don't do so well in every single location that they land, in all of those places. The other side of it, though, is despite this farmer being what some experienced and well-knowing farmers would call wasteful with the seeds that he had available, he had a successful harvest. It says so in the scripture. In fact, in scripture, it actually suggests a ridiculously abundant harvest. More than what would normally be expected. So I started this week looking at this parable in a new light because of that. Even though there were seeds thrown in those unconventional places where it was unlikely that they would take root and flourish, where it was very likely that they would be wasted, they still had a chance there, though, right? A small one. And that farmer was blessed abundantly beyond his expectations. So what does this parable tell us about God? That Jesus would describe a farmer willing to scatter his seeds everywhere, even in the unlikely places. He wasn't particular. He didn't just choose to save all of his seeds for one place the one place he knew that would be the easiest for them to grow, where they would automatically be the most successful, he didn't only choose the sure thing. I have a few things, two things, I guess, about parables and one thing about scripture reading in general that I would like to share this morning. The first thing about parables, they are often or typically about one of three things. People in their relationship to God, people in their relationship with each other, or people and their relationship with the kingdom of heaven. And this parable in Matthew falls right into the beginning of a section of eight parables that are all about the kingdom of heaven. And we know this one's about the kingdom of heaven because this is one of the two parables in that section of eight that Jesus actually gives the explanation and the meaning for. At the end, he goes back and he says, this is what it means. 
He's explaining in parable form that this farmer who was generous or reckless, as other farmers would maybe look at him and think, in scattering these seeds was the farmer that had the most flourishing harvest by scattering these seeds of the kingdom of heaven everywhere. The second thing about parables is that parables were riddles. They were hard to understand sometimes. The disciples, in this scripture reading from this morning, even asked Jesus, why do you do that? Why are you talking to the people in parables? They are confusing. They are challenging. They are puzzling. And here is the harder part. If they don't shock you or surprise you, or even possibly offend you in some way, one of those three, or maybe some other strong emotion, then we probably need to go and read it again. The parables that Jesus told were not common sense. It's not common sense to throw that much seed on land that isn't meant for farming. It's not common sense to leave 99 sure, you've got them here, healthy, stable, safe sheep to go hunting for the one that's missing that could be dead or eaten by then. It's not common sense to turn the other cheek. In fact, it's really hard to do that instead of just automatically defending yourself. When Jesus told parables, they went against the grain. There was a confusing or surprising factor about them. They turned things upside down, and they were a shocking reversal of the listener's expectations. So if it doesn't also turn some of our world upside down for us, if it doesn't surprise us, if it doesn't leave us with a reversal of our expectations, then we may need to go and revisit them. We may need to look at them again. I talked about ruffling some feathers. And this, I really debated hard. Do I put this quote in? Do I not? Do I? Do I not? Um, Guess what I chose? Yeah, I'm going to ruffle some feathers. Uh, I debated sharing this quote because although it's something that is, is worth considering, if it is true, and, and I think it is, but it's up also to you to acknowledge or receive whatever truth you think that you can get from it. If it is true, then it is a really hard truth. It's a quote from a blog written by Erna Kim Hackett. And um, I'm just going to read this one part that caught my attention, and it's about a phrase called Disney Princess Theology. Does that phrase ring a bell for anybody? Have you heard of Disney princess theology? It caught my attention because I have daughters. So as soon as I see Disney princess, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to read this. But listen to what she says. As each individual reads scripture, they see themselves as the princess in every story. They are Esther, never Xerxes or Haman. They are Peter, never Judas. 
They are the woman anointing Jesus, never the Pharisees. They are the Jews escaping slavery and never Egypt. For the citizens of the most powerful country in the world who enslaved both native and black people, to see itself as Israel and not Egypt when studying scripture is a perfect example of Disney princess theology. And it means as people in power, they have no lens for locating themselves rightly in scripture or society. It has made them blind and utterly ill-equipped to engage issues of power and injustice. It is some very weak Bible work. End quote. That's the point where I say, ouch, and looking at this. Because there is a problem if we read scripture always assuming that we are the hero and could never be the villain. It's a problem if we assume automatically that we are the persecuted church in Revelation but could never be the Roman Empire. It's a problem if we always see ourselves as the good Samaritan but never as the priest or the Levite who crosses over to the other side of the road. But we do sometimes. We do cross to the other side of the road. Sometimes we avoid helping, or we try to stay away from the mess or away from the smell. We try to stay away from involvement. So we have to remember, or at least I know I need to remember in reading scripture, not to read myself into the role of the hero, but also the villain. Because if I don't, I get into this habit of always seeing how I and only I am right and how others are wrong. If I am always the hero, that means the others get to be the villain. Does this sound familiar with the state of our society lately? It's heartbreaking. We do need to focus outside ourselves. And there are other things that do that too. I'm even thinking about the songs that we sing. This song, Reckless Love, says, chases me down. Fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. We also sang, it's just you and me here now. It's just you and me here now. Beautiful sentiments. But how does that help us get into this place of me and Jesus theology and nobody else? Because we are so accustomed, possibly, to reading ourselves into scripture, and into the role of the redeemed, then we fail to see the words that would condemn us for the ways that we fall into the role of the oppressors. Those words then always become for the other, whoever it is who is on the other side of where I stand. And the danger is if we don't see those things, if we cannot hear those words, as individuals and also corporately as a church, as a society, as a community of faith, 
then it's not likely we're going to end up repenting of any of those things. We can't make the changes that God would be calling us to. We will not end up being as generous or as reckless as this farmer was in the parable that Jesus taught about the kingdom of heaven. I've had a mess sorting through this parable this week. But now I'm making the assumption that this is the kind of reckless that God is. A God who would prefer a farmer who scattered seeds, the, the word of the kingdom of heaven, the good news, far and wide, no matter how safe or not safe it was. The God who would risk abandoning 99 sure and safe sheep to go find the lost one. The God whose kingdom is described by Jesus in parables that turned the world upside down for the listeners. And those who were sure and certain of their place and their status had the rug ripped out from under their feet. And those who were lost or despised or frowned upon for the multitude of reasons that we see in Jesus' New Testament interactions with people, they are the ones who are receptive and redeemed and welcomed. So where do we go from here? Well, I suppose as a call to action, I can suggest we focus on two things. We can practice what this parable suggests. We can be reckless or generous. I never would have thought I could use those two words to mean the same thing. We can be reckless with the seeds that we are given. If we treat them like we have an unextinguishable supply, don't just plant them where it's safe. Plant these seeds of the kingdom of God everywhere you have a chance. I just started a new book, and I haven't finished it yet, so I can't even tell you if I recommend it, but I recommend the title and the first chapter. It's called Everywhere You Look, Discovering the Church Right Where You Are. This farmer planted those seeds everywhere he looked, and it didn't make sense to any other farmers who would have been watching him. It, didn't, it wouldn't make sense to any of the people who know this is what farmers do. God's love is for all. We don't get to pick and choose and only share where we want to. It was the farmer who was scattering his seeds with reckless abandon is the one who had that fruitful and abundant harvest. And second, as a takeaway from this morning, what would it look like to incorporate a different type of question into our Bible study, both as individuals and um, in whatever small group Bible studies you are participating in. As we read scripture, what would it look like to see the ways that we hear God speaking to us, but not just as the hero, not just as the redeemed in the story, but also consider looking, is it worth asking God and ourselves, in what ways am I Judas in this story? In what ways are we the church like Egypt? 
in what ways or manners am I like Pharaoh? In what ways am I like this farmer? Do I scatter the seeds of the kingdom of heaven recklessly, or do I play it safe? You can even get really abstract here. In what ways am I like the ground? I am sure, because I love God and I believe in Jesus, that yes, there are some parts of me that are really good ground for planting some seeds. Does that mean that every single part of me is? Nope, and a big amen to that. I am certain that I have parts of me that is the thorny ground, and there are things that are going to come up and choke a growing plant. It is hard to grow there. I am sure that there are parts of my heart that are probably paved over and do not pass go, no seed can plant there. So in what ways am I also like the dirt? and the ground in this parable. If we do this, actually, let me go the opposite way. If we fail to do this, if we don't look at the ways in Scripture where we might be the villain, then we're only reading ourselves into the redeemed part of the story. And then we are absolutely removing the chance for the, Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit and the Scripture to convict us. We're removing the opportunity for repentance. So that is going to be my encouragement for this week, is what ways can we read and reread Scripture to see where are we convicted? Um, I, know, I know for myself, I am not always the good guy in the Bible story, as much as I wish. May God open our minds and open our hearts to live as recklessly generous as Jesus. Amen. Let us continue to reflect on Pastor Kalia's message as we pray for her and the soon-to-be Free Methodist Church plant in Dallas, Texas. God, we thank you that you are a lavish God, that you send your seed and your news and your word to all people over the top in ways that we can... uh, only just begin to understand. We ask that you help us to do the same, to continue to shout and celebrate and to praise you for all that you have shared with your people. And that we, by doing that, will continue to share your love and your hope and your peace with your people and the people you care about which is everyone we will ever meet. We pray specifically for Pastor Kalia and this new mission of sharing your good news with the people of Dallas. We ask for wisdom and excitement that there would be people who catch the vision for this worshiping community and come alongside her and support her as these seeds are planted. And as we see 
amazing yields of kingdom fruit. And as we talk about all the time on this podcast, it cannot always be measured in a metric. But we must measure in lives changed and in stories of hope and reunification, of freedom from addiction, of freedom from sin, of freedom from the old self. God, we ask that you would unite the people who are destined for this worshiping community in perfect love for your glory and your purposes in this community. We ask all these things in your precious and powerful name. Amen. Usually at this time, we give you the opportunities to support the ministry of the teaching pastor of the, of the day, but Pastor Kalia's church is so new, they do not have giving set up yet. So I will put that information in a later episode if you would like to support this new church plan. Thank you for listening to the No Small Churches podcast. We pray you were encouraged and empowered to follow Jesus today. You can stay connected with us here at the podcast by following us on Twitter at No Small Churches or following me, Ephraim Wilkoff, at Wilkoff E. If you enjoyed today's podcast, consider sharing us with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And now, hear this Eastertide benediction. All praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the source of every mercy, the God of all consolation. Do not rely on yourselves alone, but put your trust in him. For the God who can raise the dead to life again will also deliver you. Amen. Thank you.